Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! <laughs> Good everybody, welcome to the Forbidden Technique Podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network. Myself, your host Silas Martin, my co-host as always Christian Reynolds. Um, sorry we didn't do an episode last week because the week before that we just uh, jumped the gun on this card because we didn't, we had no reason to think that the UFC would take a week off ever. Why would I look at the date? I want some kind of fucking professional. No, so... Uh, so we just didn't do a show, uh, but I joined a friend of the show, Spencer, on the first installment of his new show on the fight site, uh, the Rolling with the Thunder podcast, which is a, a podcast that's going to be focusing on like previews for upcoming kickboxing and Muay Thai cards. So you, sh- you definitely go check that out. You know, it was a preview podcast, but it is still good, particularly if you didn't catch last weekend's one championship event, in which case, go listen to the podcast and then go watch the fights. Um... So yeah, uh, plug out the way, we're mostly just going to be hitting a recap of last weekend's UFC Fight Night event, since uh, there also isn't really a whole lot going on this weekend. Um, so let's just get right on into it. UFC Fight Night, Mackenzie Dern versus Zhang and Yan. Uh, Zhang and Yan taking a unanimous, oh, sorry, a majority decision victory in the main event. Um, which means I'm guessing one judge must have had it a draw. Um, fair enough, I guess, because it was it was pretty close. But I mean, I, I was okay with Jaunan winning it, just because. I mean, pretty much everyone was picking Mackenzie Dern, just because it seemed like it was going to have to be like <clears throat> just like a level of discipline in a performance from uh, Jaunan and Yan that we really had no reason to expect. Um, uh, you know, as well as just a level of a technical competency in certain areas. But, you know, this is this really is another one of those fights where it's just, like... You, it turns out you just you can grapple with the jiu-jitsu dogs, right? Um, this is something you were talking about, Christian, while we were uh, watching this card in the voice chat and you were going on your tirade about how uh, grappling is lame and for nerds and striking is cool and for chads, I believe, was basically the summary of your thesis. And it was just the thing that we were saying that, like... At a certain point, jiu-jitsu is like a flowchart of just sequences of moves. And like you can't just hang on the ground with someone who's way better than you by just like staying calm and knowing what the correct moves are to make in certain situations. And as I said last week, it's still not part of any kind of uh, winning strategy for anyone against Mackenzie Dern. Because anyone who is on the ground with her is losing rounds. Um, and yeah, I guess at least in one judge's eyes for one of these rounds, you know, losing that round at 10-8 because you're just constantly in a state of defense. Um, but also Mackenzie Dern uh, is just not good at striking <laughs> and uh, is becoming more confident and insistent about it, but not like any, not really any like technically better at it 
for any stretches where she couldn't get any kind of ground exchanges was just following Yan around, just getting outpositioned and countered in literally every exchange, which is why at the end of the day, I was okay with uh, Yan winning it because she didn't get submitted and she punched Mackenzie Dern in the mouth quite a lot. So I don't know. What do you make of the whole thing, Christian? Um, I thought it was a robbery, but like I wasn't expecting Dern to get the decisions. So do it that information what you will so you give Dern two ten eights then yeah is that I, is that how you arrive I, at that I, scorecard because i also i can see that i thought it was either a draw or two ten eights and then a win but either way it was a good performance by both i think it's just you can't expect more than that from Dern. Dern started the first round like real hot in the first like minute and then got buzzed real bad like two or three times and then was just scared off of countering and looked way more finicky in exchanges. So Dern has like good power, at least relative to, to the people she's fighting and she can get like pretty good damage out if, if you don't check her, but if you just land a really hard counter, it'll make her, her mechanics dissolve so quickly like three or four good counters and Yan was kind of walking Dern like a dog, uh, at least in the round. She had to get her respect each round and then the rounds where she couldn't really get it, Dern would just kind of go back to step one, just start trying to throw a jab away and then step in with a really hard right hand. Uh, I figured Dern should have been kicking a lot more because there's just not really much downside to it. Yan's not super insistent about countering kicks with punches or kick offense and if she is it just i mean and she was still doing it a ton though because she was I mean, she was just because 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 dern just does not have the sense of distance or mechanics to like kick responsibly yeah like it, honestly she should have just done the cheese strategy of like throw a kick and then fall to your back like really ryan hauling it seems to be dern's best strategy she did that a few times, and I think that was actually how she initiated the grappling exchange in the one of the second round. Um, yeah, proving my point, like it, it, it would just be the, the correct strategy to do in this fight because it would just save her from unnecessary damage in a fight that she's not winning otherwise. And then, and then, uh, in the fifth round, Dern was like, "Okay, I just got to seal off this round at least. Like, if it's two-two, then I'll guarantee a win." And no way it could have been two-two, really. But like, I've seen crazier things. I mean, I think she was going for the finish in the fifth. Yeah, Marillo straight told her, "Like, you are down. You need to take her down and submit her with the quickness." And it, it did kind of like, like when you see how Dern approached that round when she had that sense of urgency, it did kind of make you think. Why did you try bother striking with this girl at all? Um, because she, yeah, because Prilo did not mince words and was just was just like punch into clinches and get actual takedowns, and she just did like immediately. And again, you see like the technical quality of Mackenzie done once she gets into an even remotely comfortable position for her because the takedown was her doing a head and arm throw into having her back taken and then just immediately turning into into top side control and let, like spending most of the fifth round on the back just like trying to punch into chokes but uh Yan was pretty much just like just turtling up like denying the choke and just being like no these are just throwaway punches to get the choke so I just won't 
give up the choke and just got punched from the back a bunch. So again, you know, pretty, pretty reasonable grounds for a 10-8 in that round. Um, but even in the second round, uh, you know, watching this fight live, it just suddenly I just looked up in the second round and Mackenzie Dern was doing jiu-jitsu. I was like, how did they get to the ground in the first place? And I think it was literally Mackenzie Dern fell over from a kick and then just like, butt scooted into a leg entanglement and, and like that was it <laughs> so she should she should have just done more more of that because yeah pretty much for any stretches where she was just trying to strike instead of just like throw like throw extended combinations to get into clinch entries she was she was just losing every exchange so hard just just like the speed and accuracy and just like positional responsibility of Yan was just like was too much if Mackenzie Dern wasn't really aggressively trying to get grappling situations going. I, I thought it was a, a decent fight tactically from Yan. Uh but I also kinda don't see a way you can not give a ten eight for at least one of the rounds for Dern, because Dern almost finished Yan with ground and pound in the second round. Like it would not almost by literal standards, like the ref wasn't going to do anything, but some, some refs would have been like, Oh shit. Uh, Yen's getting, I, th- I think the fifth is definitely grounds for a 10, eight. Like I said, that, that take, that takedown happened really early in the round when Yan basically hadn't landed any strikes at all. And she spent almost the whole round, uh, just, uh, landing pit pat shots from the back. At a certain point, you can give someone a ten eight just for their opponent having done literally nothing. Like it, like it doesn't say in the rule set that you have to nearly kill your opponent to get a ten eight. It says that the round has to be dominant. Pretty much, it just means like a clear round where there's no argument to the opposite or to the other end of the spectrum. So, I thought there was kind of no way that you could watch that fight and not at least give it a draw. But it doesn't really matter because Yan was doing things that are smart and it seemed like a matchup that was very difficult to win for her innately. Like she was doing good stuff with the sidekick uh, to the knee. It was really stopping Dern from coming forward a lot. Dern kept trying to, but it was just slowing her progression a lot. She couldn't really get anything going because anytime she would start like feeling herself, she would just get her knee jammed really hard. The fight kind of reminded me of like... Holly Holm versus Ronda Rousey, except if Ronda had a like a more insistent way of actually getting someone submitted if they got to the ground, or just getting more varied way of getting people to the ground that isn't just like a a throw. Also, if Ronda had like uh, a chin and heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if if Ronda was like tough as fucking nails, and if Holly Holm could actually box. Uh, but yeah, Yan has troubles with her stance. She breaks her stance kind of every time she starts throwing punches. But she was doing good work uh, countering Yan or countering Dern whenever Dern would get too aggressive and just kind of just set her on her heels a little bit and make her realize that she can't afford to be exchanging with Yan in the way that she could with other people. Yeah, actually hurt Dern pretty bad with the left hook in the third round as well. Yeah, I heard her bad several times even. In the in like the first round, there was like three like very clear hurting shots that were landed by Yen. 
and they were all really quite nice counters. And Dern didn't have much to do in regards to didn't didn't really have much in the way of offense after she started getting countered in the round. It was more that she would start around, land something good, and then Yan would be like, "Okay, cool, no more of that. I'm gonna counter you really hard, and then you're gonna stop like trying to hunt me down." And Yan showed a good chin. She ate a few really good shots, no problem. And we've seen Dern like knock down uh, Amanda Bobby Cooper, hurt Tisha Torres pretty bad. Like Dern, Dern can hurt people. So it's it's not nothing to be able to take some of Dern's best shots and be completely unfazed. So I don't really know where either of them goes from here. Like it Yen, is a hard one. No way Yan gets a title shot or like even close because she got obliterated by Carlos Barza and Carlos Barza in the eyes of many fans is kind of like a paper champ, which not this fan. Carlos Barza is a legitimate champion as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but, but she is also going to lose to Wei Zhang. Yeah, so. everyone and their mother is expecting uh, Joanna or fucking Rose or Zhang to just kill Carlos Barza. I mean, Joanna uh, retired. Yeah, I, I. To be fair, I forgot. But really, like anyone elite, people are expecting to just blow through Carlos Barza if they get to a fight with her. It just seems like Zhang won the lottery and is getting to fight her. But you know. Things can happen. Um, maybe some some weird stuff happens, and then uh, Zhang has to pull out, and they slot in Zhang and Yan as a replacement fight. But no, you're right. It is a difficult spot for her, coming off of like getting absolutely mopped by Carlos Esparza. You know, regardless of whether or not Carlos Esparza remains the champ, and then having a very close fight, but the, you know she did lose with uh, Marina Rodriguez. Um, and also a fight yeah. now where a lot of fans scored this fight for Dern, and it seems like it's pretty clear cut as just either at least a draw for Dern in my eyes. And well, for for Dern, I think Dern should just fight down again a few more times and then try her hand at the elite again. Uh, it seems to be the only real way for her to go because she's getting better, but she's. And she's not really taking all that much damage. Like, this is probably the most damage she's taken in a fight. But she's still fine. She didn't even get dropped. So her chin's still crazy good. She has, like, insane resilience. She's very tough and keeps going at people even when she starts losing. Even especially when she starts losing, if uh, Prilla can get in her head and really get her to open up in later rounds. It seemed like the Marina Rodriguez fight was just kind of a brain fart by Dern. She just didn't really recognize what she needed to do to be able to get a win and just became despondent because she was losing even not even losing on the ground, but just not really able to get much done on the ground. So she just lost her, her like will to win. It seemed in a much less hard fight than this one was at that. So maybe we saw Dern looking a bit more mentally tough in this fight than she even had prior. And she already seemed very tough. So, yeah, and um, for Zhang and Yan, there's not really anywhere for her to go other than a fight with either uh, Amanda Lemos or Jessica Andrade. Both really difficult fights for her, too. Really, yeah. I think Lemos is a, a lot easier of a fight, but still, it's not easy. Like, Lemos isn't easy for anyone except for Jessica Andrade. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, co-main event, Randy Brown beat Francisco Trinaldo by decision. 
Um, I'm not sure how much I agree with the decision, but I don't. Do you score the second for Trinaldo? I think it's very viable. Yeah, Randy Brown, as we saw, was just like he was just doing a good job, like fighting long against Trinaldo, you know, denying exchanges and counter opportunities, working behind the absolutely gargantuan uh, reach and height advantage he had over over the the very old man. Um, and you know, he dropped Trinaldo really hard in the first round, but kind of just didn't push the issue at all and seemed to take his eye off the ball. And Trinaldo really worked his way into the fight over the second round and uh, you know pretty clearly won the third round, uh, particularly after he uh, was able to secure top position from taking Randy Brown down off a kick and just kind of ride the round out there. Um, so you're not, not a tremendously inspiring fight uh, other than just that Massa and Duba is even like going to decision with like young viable welterweights in their prime. <laughs> I thought the fight kind of showcased Trinaldo's limitations, and it's that his shot selection is very one note. His timing and his ways that he can set up a overhand counter are like it's pretty nice. Like he he has ways to get it, but it's just overhand counter most of the time, especially if you're much taller than him. Yeah, he has really smart application of like the few things that he does really well, but it is very meat and potatoes and. You know, if you're kind of wise to the few things that he's trying to set up and can kind of can kind of deny them at the kind of entry point, then he can kind of run out of ideas and doesn't have a lot to go to. Mostly, just ended up trending low kicks. Yeah, an example of what I mean is Brown was ducking the overhands all the time as someone that was like 15 inches taller. So. If someone's ducking over and over, just uppercut them. But it seemed like Trinaldo was like, oh, he's taller than me. I can't uppercut him. Which is a very common sentiment among uh, people who have very bland shot selection or, or like one note MMA shot fighters. You know? Yeah, MMA fighters in general. Like they, they don't really recognize that if someone's taller than them, that the uppercut's still there if they're ducking because it's a counter to ducking, not a counter to being shorter than you. Yeah, you don't you don't see many nongos in MMA who are just like five foot seven guys starching six foot tall guys with uppercuts, <laughs> just because just because you know just because they understand the application of the shot selection. But you know, Fr- Francisco Trinaldo has never thrown an uppercut in his life. There's no reason to expect him to now. Yeah, and uh, like Randy Brown was doing all right to keep himself defensively responsible. It, it, I wouldn't say defensively responsible. I'd say defensively far away. Yeah, far away and defensively effective, I guess. Because he was eating some shots like on the collarbone at certain points uh, before he got a full read on the range. And that was just Trinaldo kind of missing. And then he started actually getting his head out of the way just by waiting for Trinaldo to throw and then reacting to it more so than doing anything proactive. I, I thought Brown looked pretty good. It just was kind of uninspiring because I feel like if you're at the level that he's trying to get to, you should be able to finish Trinaldo with the type of style matchup it is. But Trinaldo's admittedly incredibly difficult to finish. So him being old doesn't really matter. No. He's he's a he's an earth elemental. But you know, but that that being said, it's still always concerning for a fight to see <clears throat> to see a fighter win the first round super hard. And get good offense off, and then kind of just take take their eye off the ball, and not really be able to get back to that as the fight goes deep. But you know, again, 
talking about one of the most experienced guys in the promotion. Yeah, and in the fight right before that, Honey Barcelos outclassed Trevin Jones. Absolutely sunned him, kind of like he was supposed to. Uh, was a must-win fight for Honey, but he absolutely maximized it and just. Yeah, when you see fights like this, you you get why people have been so high on him and been wanting to see him in the elite matchups because you know, like this was really a fight between two counter punches. One you got one in Trevin Jones who just watches his opponent and waits for them to give him counter opportunities and just try and find just one and done kill shots. And Harry Barcelos, who actually has like a system of feints and throwaways and like non-committal long-range shots that he can use to get the reactions that he wants to land his counters and you know Annie's problem uh like you know the way people have gotten decisions over him is by like getting ahead on volume and making him focus on his defense and Trevin Jones's win condition has mostly been random knockouts, so there was, you know, there was really no reason to expect not to expect uh, Jones to just get absolutely molly walloped. Marcellus like, is getting the- up there in age, but he is not up there in fight years. He hasn't been fighting as long as most people who are thirty-five in the UFC. No, and he's ridiculously athletic. So, like, he has a great chin. Yeah, um, there's still time for him to do stuff in this in this division, and. There are things for him to take away from the Timor Valia fight. Um, uh, you know, looking at the reasons why he ended up losing it, but he still absolutely should have won that fight. And Victor Henry was just a it was just brutal matchmaking because it was like there was just no upside to that fight because it wasn't a, f- a name that if he had beat, it was going to like do a lot for him. And it's one of the best savvy vets outside of the UFC in his UFC debut. So, like, we were wise to it that he would be pretty good. Well, and who also turned out to be a poisonous stylistic matchup for Barcelos and had the fucking performance of his life. So, yeah, get, get, get how many Barcelos some good fights. At least something with, like, uh, like Jack Shaw or one of those guys. At this point, I think Hadi's just not a finisher he because he does things that are correct to get finishes he just somehow all roads lead to decision for him also trevin jones is like he has a real like prime Derek lewis quality to him where he's kind of not necessarily that hard to beat the absolute shit out of but he's very hard to finish and he stays dangerous the whole time (laughs) It was just very strange to me how Hani. I, I can watch Barcelos fights and he's doing everything correct to get a finish except forget the finish. Like he was, uh, he was doing really nice work with frames to keep distance. He wasn't crowding his own work. He, he was, his shot selection made sense. He was staying urgent whenever he hurt Jones. He really didn't do anything wrong to not get a finish. He just doesn't get the moments enough to be able to seal off the fight. Which is strange, but pretty common in MMA at this point. Uh, another fighter with a uh, similarity is Leon Edwards. And he, he finally got a finish. So When he needed it most. <laughs> yeah, except Leon Edwards actually has like stylistic flaws that make him bad at getting finishes. Whereas Barcelos, I can watch him do everything that he should be doing to get a finish and he'll still not get it. Even on people that are 
very durable, and it seems like he could be the only guy that could actually finish them. It just doesn't manifest. So did 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 uh, Jeffy Basharat even finish Trevin Jones? No. Nah, that's, that's what I mean. Um, Sadiq Yusuf uh, easily destroyed Don Shanus. Uh This is what you do against a random short notice guy who is like dangerous, but basically not on your level. Like, I actually heard a bunch of people who were more clued up about the regional scene than me being like, yeah, this, like, Don Shaman's guy is, like, actually okay, and Sadiq Yusuf often, like, has these performances where he seems to be, like, slightly, he just seems to underestimate what it's actually going to take him to win a fight, and, like, runs into a lot of trouble even in fights that he ends up ultimately winning, like the... uh, Gabriel Benitez, Alex Caceres fights. But no, he just walked up to Don Shanus, uh, grabbed a collar tie, kneed him a bunch of times, and snapped him down into a guillotine in, like, what, 30 seconds? Yeah, it was just a dramatic physical mismatch, more so than anything else, because Shanus was, like, digging shots to the body. It just meant nothing. And then he, he just got guillotined so abruptly. It was a really fucking nice guillotine, too. But that's really all there is to say about the fight. It told us nothing. Um, Aside from Sadiq Yusuf, uh, can crush a can better than he used to be able to. Which is it's it's still a levels test to that you want to see in a young fighter is can they just go out and easily mop the guy who they're supposed to? Because sometimes they don't, and he did. So good for him. It kind of reminded me of like the same thing that happened for Neil Magny a while ago, where a guy that, well, except this is very different because Sadiq Yusuf is actually dangerous, just objectively. But not that dangerous, though. Not that dangerous, despite his his athletic traits. But remember when Neil Magny just fucking crushed a guy in a round because the guy came in on short notice and wasn't like on the level of an elite level fighter? That's kind of what this was, except it was way faster and more, even more abrupt because City Yusuf is a power athlete. Yep. Uh, Mike Davis uh, beat Vyacheslav Borshev <clears throat> by being a fucking lame MMA fighter ass bitch, um, which, you know, there was no reason really for me not, not to expect him to do that. Uh... And for me to expect Mike Davis to have a harder fight that he probably would have ended up losing for my entertainment. No, that's fucking stupid. He just went out there and just out-wrestled the guy who has bad takedown defense. Uh, This also should have been a draw. Yeah, it should have been a draw. Because first round, Mike Davis, he he drops Borshev with a knee in the clinch, ends up in mount. The the ground of pound he was throwing from mount was like, pretty ineffective but he was in mount doing it for a long time and he had had the knockdown with the knee and then in the second and third round um he would kind of like take the foot off his gas at the beginning of each round and borshev would start getting his shot selection going and piecing davis up throwing really nice shots to the body to try and disincentivize the level changes and then at some point mike davis would be like oh fuck yeah and he would just he would just get a takedown and it would just work instantly and we talked about it when Borshev lost to Mark Jacasey. Borshev is just, just not there technically with his takedown defense. Even though he has like good ideas behind his like footwork and shot selection for how to strike as an anti-wrestler, at some point it doesn't matter. You just gotta just, just gotta be able to wrestle. And he's, he's just not there. And Vyacheslav has 
like athletically flat out bad hips for wrestling. Yeah, his hips that... are always so forward anytime someone grabs him, and he's he's not very physically strong at all. His upper body is like pretty correct normally when it comes to defending takedowns, but it it all in the hips. Like if your hips are getting sucked in, it doesn't matter if you're pushing down in the head or if you're you know framing on the neck. Or if you're getting your arm under the chin to, to like elevate the head, if your hips are getting sucked in every single time someone even attempts a takedown, then you're gonna get taken down repeatedly. And when it comes to getups, he most of his game is giving up his back, but he's not very strong, and he's and he's actually pretty good once once he gets to once he gets to his knees. And yeah, when he's scrambling, he's he's not bad at wrestling. Like you can tell, he has a. a a good amount of decent wrestling training. But when I watch his fights, it kind of just gives me the vibe that at team alpha male, he's able to out wrestle some of the guys occasionally in scrambles that are just much smaller than him. So that whenever he actually fights people that are larger than him, he's doing things that are correct, but just like not the right things to be doing against people that are larger than him. And most people he's fought or not even most people, the two people who have wrestled him are much larger lightweights than he is. Like Borshev is very much a 155 kickboxer rather than a 155 MMA fighter. I feel like most people with his frame would fight at 145 were they to go to MMA, but he's just competing at a weight class where he is athletically not able to hang with people in long ground exchanges, especially a guy like Mike Davis or a guy like Mark Casey. He, if he can go down to featherweight, he just has to dodge like uh, Marsara, Evan, Bryce Mitchell. Yeah. And like, you get ranked before you even got to fight those guys. Yeah, like, and if he gets to a fight against like Volkanovski, you know, like that's the the highest level guy that is going to be able to wrestle him after that because there's just so few wrestlers in the division. Like everyone can wrestle, but like no one's going to be like, oh yeah, let me wrestle this guy. They'll just be willing to strike with him. So I think Borshev needs to either do a weight class change or really. Just start doing fucking hip thrusts, dude. Like he has hips that are genuinely terrible for grappling, because he just gives his hips to people because they're so forward. Anytime someone ducks in on him, it's it's very strange. I've never seen someone quite like that in in regards to like their hips kind of just making them dead on arrival upon someone attempting a takedown. I uh, will say though the thirty twenty six scorecard for Mike Davis is fucking preposterous. Yeah, bullshit. Like all this is being said while also saying I I do think the fight was should have been a draw. Borshev fucked up Mike Davis's eye so badly in the third round. Very clearly won the second two rounds. Landed some hellacious body shots and fucking splattered Davis's or- orbital. You know, so it's like. Who who won the fight? The, the the you know particularly those rounds. The guy who got on top but didn't really get any meaningful offense on, or the guy who actually broke the other guy's face. So like, it's not it's not the worst look for Borshev. It's it's just a thing where he needs to not fight like an, one of the actual grapplers in the division. No, and I feel like it may very well be the case that just he should have had he should have had a longer regional mma career certainly but just i think because he was already like at team alpha male on a scholarship deal as uh, as i would say that they were just like nah dude you gotta start like you gotta start yeah they were just like nah dude you gotta start like make making money (laughs) 
and he, he's somewhat old relative to most people in his position getting to the UFC as a prospect. Like he's he's not old old. He's just certainly not young, and he's had wear and tear. You can tell. Like he had a seventeen and two kickboxing record, which isn't that extensive. But with a style like Borshev's, he's not exactly Israel Adesanya, like navigating damage very well over the course of an eighty fight career. I'm assuming he had a lot of fucking bangers in his kickboxing career. Yeah, he loves to sling heat in the pocket. And in his MMA career, even before the UFC, he was getting like fucked up real bad and then just having to weather a storm and come back later. But then in a, a fucking fantastic fight. Sick fight. Daniel Santos uh, need John Castaneda after getting dropped, or not necessarily dropped, but hurt horribly three times in the first round. Looking like fucking Charles Oliveira. Literally looking like Charles Oliveira. He's like he's like stole his hairstyle and everything. <laughs> he's, he's training partners with him. He he fights very similarly to him. He has a weird affinity for spinning back fists that he never lands or doesn't land very clean. Just like every similarity to Charles you can imagine. You can tell he's a very much a Charles Oliveira fan as well as being trained by the same main coach. Yeah, and it was a real, you know, modern era Charles fight because, you know, John Castaneda looked fantastic in the first round. Yeah, Castaneda was landing fantastic high kicks, uh, mostly due to Daniel Santos being very defensively liable with his hand positioning. Yeah, still something interesting to me about John Castaneda that I'm not sure if he's a guy who just, like, gets into fights and just vibes with whatever seems to be the thing to do or if he's actually, like, one of these Bilal Muhammad guys who like really tries to adjust his style like for stylistic matchups because you know i guess like miles johns he was doing like tons of like stance switching pressuring and infighting to try and like make miles johns pay for his like liabilities off of the back foot and like lack of pace and stuff and then this fight he just, he just looked like julio arce <laughs> he was like oh, I'll, just, I'll just do southpaw kick switch ups and yeah he 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 had uh he had uh, Daniel Santos on chicken legs for a good bit of the first round, uh, but it just seemed like yeah, he got absolutely knackered going for the finish, and Daniel Santos just got his shit together and stayed on the pressure. And, and he only angered Daniel Santos. Like if you don't finish a guy in the first round or do enough damage to make him just a a zombie, then in the next round you better have the stamina to handle it because Santos came out with a fucking fury. Uh, he was putting together just longer combinations. Uh, he was pressuring more aggressive or more insistently, making sure that he got uh, Castaneda to the fence before he really started letting letting go. Uh, his shot selection, I mean, if you watch Charles Oliveira fight, kind of that. Like he he was going to the body more, I guess. But even then, the body work was just kind of there. It wasn't necessarily like the reason he got the finish. But then he, he finally timed a really nice knee, and then he tried for a follow-up knee that would have put Castaneda limp unconscious, but he only needed the one. So it, it was a very nice performance and one of the crazier one-and-a-half-round fights of the year. Uh, a little Latifi for Alexia Linek, I suppose, you know, kind of. Yeah, it, it happened. Um, uh, Olenek looked so, so, so old. And Alou Latifi looked so, so, so worried about losing on the feet. And then whenever they're on the ground, he just kind of kept position. And Olenek couldn't really get anything off because Alou Latifi is freakishly strong. 
So and, it was and was willing to just sit and guard and land spor- sporadic, ineffective body punches. And uh, Elenik is so old that like he just he, he can't stand up. If, yeah, and like, if he like, was... I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure if he's like, if he'd be able to stand up off of his back, even if Lilatifi wasn't in his guard. He's that old. He needs to be able to come up on your back to, to like pull himself up to stand up if he's on the like, ground. He, he has fallen and he can't get up. And Lilatifi got a nice cut with a headbutt. It seemed like on the feet, just with the speed, to, speed disparity. It really seemed like there was no reason that Alir couldn't just be a bit more insistent and get a finish on the feet, but quite easily. But Alir Latifi has looked it. genuinely terrified of fighting every fight he's had at heavyweight. Yeah, which you know, fair enough, I guess. Uh, don't really like he. It just seems like he doesn't want to cut weight, and this was a kind of a layup style matchup for him because the. Olenek's thing is being strong and Latifi's thing is being the strongest. So he just didn't really even have to worry about uh, Olenek's main go-to, which is just weird strength subs. But it, it was a uninformative fight that was just kind of like drab to watch and uh, was depressing to happen after four consecutive finishes in the first four fights of the card. Yeah. Uh, Whacking Silver knocked out Jesse Ronson with a flying knee. Yeah, it was a pretty nice performance by both guys leading up to it. Not that much to say about the finish. It was just a nice skip up knee off of a stand switch. And uh, he had tried it a few times before. You, you could tell it was just a good read. Uh, Brendan Allen submitted Christoph Yatko after losing like two minutes on the ground to Yatko uh, from a, a kick catch. Yeah, it was. A very I don't even nice know if it was on. a kick catch. I think Brendan he, he Allen just kind of leg. slipped, <laughs> and then and then Yatko ended up in his guard, and Brendan Allen uh, swept him and took his back and choked him out. Yeah, which is like a, about as impressive of a win over Christoph Yatko as you can get, really. Yeah, I watched it this morning, and uh, like Yatko threw a left hand counter as Allen was throwing a head kick, and he just like punched him under the leg, and then they fell over. So then they ended up getting to the ground, and Yatko just. He also, by the time that he was actually established position on by Allen, Allen had him kind of scared like i've never seen yatko with that facial expression before he looked so worried about being submitted and then he was a very quick tap on him getting the hand of the neck whoever even gets to christoph yatko's back like that's how many people and brendan allen's very good at jujitsu he is so oh and he also he called out uh both fluffy hernandez and andre muniz so yeah he's like like, no fear in his heart because he's willing to fight two guys that are really fucking good and yeah, also good in I mean, his lane. Yeah, that fluffy Hernandez fight sounds fucking insane. Like, yeah. like I, I want to see those scr- scrambles. And then in a equally vi- or dramatically more violent, but kind of much lower level news, Chelsea Chandler beat up Julia Stoliarenko. Uh, Julia Stoliarenko came out really hard, and then gassed, and then got finished by attrition in the first round. 
it happens she like that. She gassed so quickly. Like the way, like this fight, it's worth watching just because it has one of the most disrespectful throws I've ever seen. I'm like, I'm not sure if the, if there's even a name for that one in judo or she's. And uh, and Guido Canetti uh, submitted Randy Costa in a. I'm gonna be honest. It did not surprise me. It wasn't. If you had told me Guido Canetti was gonna submit Randy Costa in the first round, that wouldn't necessarily surprise me. But the way that it all played out was was still kind of weird because, like. I don't know what's going on with Randy Costa because th- this is a guy who like has tons of like athletic potential and like talent in certain specific things and that if you watch specific like 20 second snippets of you like holy fuck this guy could be elite and then in this fight he I mean for a start he looked disheveled his mechanics have tanked so hard since his UFC debut. I don't he really know why, but he was just getting—he was getting kicked up by Guido Canetti, which is his thing, and then just fell over and stood up into a choke, uh, a, a no hooks rear naked choke, and didn't like fight the hands at all. He very much strikes me as a guy who does a bunch of medicine ball explosivity work and then runs on the treadmill, and that's all of his strength and conditioning because he is not physical for the weight at all. But he's so thin. It just doesn't really make sense to me uh, why he would, wouldn't would try and fix some things about his, his physicality disadvantage. I don't think like, the physicality is the issue. Well, I mean, like, uh, his his mechanics are so bad, and he's his legs are so thin, like, he, he gets leg kicked for free pretty much, and his, his kicks don't really have enough power to be doing what he's trying to do. And his, his kick accuracy looked terrible in this fight, and have recently as well. Well, he fell over and got choked on one of the first committed kicks he even threw, and it's just, like... You know, he basically gets finished in every fight that he doesn't finish in the first round. But then, he, you know, he looked like genuinely very good in the first round against Adrian Yanez. Well, that could be attributed to Yanez just kind of letting someone else play the A side if he knows that he's going to be able to finish them when they get tired. Yeah, I guess. He was still just doing really neat shit, though. And, you know, falling apart against someone who can actually make those kind of adjustments and is a power threat like Yanez, or just getting, like, swamped out of the gate from Tony Kelly, uh, you know, didn't surprise me that much. But this was just, like, he didn't even have a good first round. He didn't look good against Tony Kelly at all. No, no. But, uh, you know, I was like, you know, Tony Kelly just had the right idea. Didn't even give him time to look good. Whereas this... uh, Yeah, Randy Costa strikes me as someone who, like, thinks a bunch of the technical and creative aspects of fighting are, like, cool and neat, but just doesn't really like being in a fight. So that was that whole UFC card. Yeah, there was also a one championship card, uh, which, of course, me and Spencer talked about on his podcast last week. Uh, There was a bunch of cool kickboxing stuff on it that was interesting, you know, I... Did, did you catch Tao and Chai versus Patch Markart in the end? No, because I only care about uh, I, what was it, Adam Weight? 
or one's atom weight, which is one one fifteen. Yeah, but I mean, I mean Petch versus Tower was was cool. I mean, it it, it was like. Uh, it just surprised me that it was like so much. It, it was like a banger, and that Tam and Chai didn't really seem interested in trying to like outclass Petch with with kicks off of the back foot, and decided to just like sling left hands with him in the pocket, and still won, but like seemed to just make it a lot harder than he needed to. So that was cool and a good fight that everyone should go watch. Uh, but the main event of all of that stuff was uh, the trilogy match between Angela Lee and Zhang Jingnan, which. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty cool conclusion to is it is it literally like the best trilogy in women's MFA history? Because <laughs> I can't think of many. There, there's just not many trilogies flat out. No, there isn't. But, but it but it was also like genuinely just like one of the best five rounders I've seen in WMMA flat out. It was a good fight. Um, like Lee had a lot more consistency on the feet than I've seen from her in the past, but it was only to a point and uh Nan was just really not really she wasn't kicking in the way that she could have been but it seemed as if that was a a conscious decision and also as she's gotten older her takedown defense has eroded but not eroded to the point to where it's not good anymore it's just eroded to where she has to do different things to be able to do the same result it's still very good, though. It's yeah, it's still very good. And Angela Lee isn't particularly great at takedowns, but Jingnan just kind of has to stop kicking against people who want her on the ground now. It's funny. This fight, in a lot of ways, kind of was just a way better version of the UFC main event. <laughs> yeah, uh, except with someone who's like in theory a lower caliber caliber grappler against someone who's in theory a lower caliber caliber striker. But in practice, they're both better MMA fighters. Like Angela Lee is is just better Colby Covington. Like Colby Covington, does we have Angela Lee at home? Uh, Angela Lee is an incredibly insistent uh, pressure threat when it comes to her grappling style. She has really nice transitional submissions. She's great at just establish, establishing position and fucking you up from certain like weirder spots. Yeah, she's she's really like positionally creative with with her ground and pound, and she's a submission threat everywhere. Yeah, and uh, Jingnan is just a consummate all rounder. She's a competent at striking, probably like definitely is more of a striker than a grappler. But her takedown defense is ridiculous. It's pretty much always been very good. Yeah, and she and she also just uh, uh, boxed up the jujitsu mom off the back foot. It was it, it was the UFC main event. It was it was kind of difficult to watch from the perspective of knowing how good Jingnan used to be, but Jingnan has gotten a lot older, and that was the main takeaway for me in the fight is that Jingnan had a performance that looked like it would have just been a really easy finish for her, for they to fight, uh, like even were this fight to happen, the third fight to happen a few years ago, because she um, well, and also she did finish Lee in the first fight and in this one she was about to and then the ref fucked up yeah i mean she absolutely mopped angela lee in the first round dropped her like three times was destroying her with grounded knees and then herb dean like fell over and got in the way of the finishing sequence and you know lee is she is ridiculously tough and uh the refs will give her every inch in one championship 
Uh, did, did something like this happen in the stamp fight as well? After Stamp hurt her to the body and was chasing her across the cage, the ref like weirdly got in the way of Stamp getting good follow-up shots off. Um, probably. Like, knowing referees and MMA, I don't remember that in particular, but it would not surprise me. I don't know. I, I thought it was a great fight, though. Uh, it was just kind of weird seeing like how much Jingnan has regressed physically but her mentally she's still all there she she fought a very good fight and i thought she deserved the win despite what angelie's protesting yeah i thought she won pretty clearly because she absolutely obliterated lee in the first round and then she slowed down in the rest of the rounds and the fight was competitive throughout and Lee got good offense off. You know, she was really, in, like, whenever she got in the clinch, she was always throwing. Um, she was spamming head kicks a turn and actually landed one okay. She did okay getting to the back at certain points, but, you know, she was she really struggled to get any uh, particularly strong positions uh, against Jingnan because she, yeah, even at this stage of her career, Jingnan is... Uh, like bulletproof uh, defensive grappler and wrestler. Like she, she's literally Jose Aldo is ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah, like it was just a very strange fight exchange wise because it was just very sloppy. Both would bend over really hard or lean back, super exaggerated, or just dip out of range unexpectedly during an exchange. And it made shot selection pretty complicated for both parties. Like, I, I thought that really all Angela Lee could have been doing to actually get hurting offense off more on the feet is just time her kicks better or throw more high kicks uh, in weird positions. And then for... I mean, she was trying for the high kicks. She, it's yeah. just like... it's She's just, like, not a particularly, like, cultured kickboxer and she didn't have... Like, like, like she had a lot of ideas behind it, but didn't have the specific like sense of range and timing that she needed in certain situations to actually get good connections on them. And it's asking quite a lot to, of someone to just be like, yeah, just f- do a flicky jab into a lead high kick and, and dead your opponent, idiot. Just simply do that. Really, really complicated thing to do that uh, seems a lot more simple in theory than it is in practice. And then, but for... Zhang Jingnan, I really should have just been going to the body more. Uh, that's something she's always been pretty decent about, but in this matchup, it seemed like she was just more insistent about winning the rounds rather than trying to hunt the finish after the first finish didn't work out. Or after the first finish sequence didn't really work out, which I understand. Yeah, and I, th- uh, I still... I mean, one scoring is weird, and you don't really understand how it works but a fight where you know she absolutely dominated uh and nearly got a finish in the first round and then yeah like i say the rest of the fight was closer but she was still landing the just still clearly landing the higher quality shots throughout the rest of the fight good win for zhong xing nan if she is like uh entering the autumn years of her career then this is still a great win for her and like great that she uh, got the got the win in the rubber match before she aged out enough for Angela Lee to actually be able to win <laughs> so yeah that was a cool fight you should go check it out uh, uh there is isn't a UFC this weekend um or any other major 
major MMA promotions that I could see. I mean, I mean, uh, Cage Warriors have got a thing on. I don't know who any of the guys in Cage Warriors are, but they're 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 most of them are pretty good, and they'll probably be in the UFC at some point. You can watch that. There'll be fights. You're fake British. <laughs> You're supposed yeah. to know what's going on in Cage Warriors. Um. Uh, glory kickboxing have an event which not normally the kind of thing we would talk about but i just we, we, i quickly wanted to mention this main event because it's alistair overeem versus badder harry three uh which is um you know for, for anyone who doesn't know kickboxing stuff you know badder harry you know i'm sure a lot of you have still heard of badder harry it's, he he is on resume, still one of the great heavyweight kickboxers, but has a ridiculously inconsistent career and has always been an absolute fucking liability. And um, I'm going to pick Alistair Overeem in, in this fight based on literally nothing but like cosmic justice and the fact that Bada Harry being like clearly an awful person has manifested into this like just weird point in his career where he literally can't get a win even if he looks good and like drops the you know undisputed heavyweight kickboxing champion a bunch of times and then just explodes his own leg or like is in the process of wiping out a can and just like gets head kicked and dies instantly. And then, and then wasn't there the thing with the rematch and it didn't even happen because the because there was a riot in the audience. So it just did. Um, and then Alistair Overeem, on the other hand, you know, ha- had his had his issues as a younger man, but uh, by all accounts, at this point, is uh, is is a wonderful man. Everyone talks very highly of Alistair Overeem. He always comes off very well in interviews, and he recently for the first time ever in his career, staging like comebacks where he was getting his ass whooped early and, and would have to dig deep and, and, and come back. So that, that's all you have to go. You know, they fought a million years ago before they were both just ancient geriatric fucks. Uh, Alistair Overing knocked, got, got the knockout in the first one, Badder got the knockout in the second one. Uh, I think the Ream got this one. <laughs> got anything to add to that, Christian? Um, well, I'm not sure I've ever picked against Alistair Overeem, and I'm not going to start now, even in fights where I was like pretty confident he was going to lose. So I'm going to say Overeem is going to clinch bully him, and then somehow the fight's going to get stopped and turned into like a no contest because of Badr Hari's fans. Yeah. That sounds about right. Also, I don't, I don't know about you, but I have not seen if Overeem is like full-sized in his kickbox is kickboxing re-debut. I mean, they basically changed Glory's rules so that he could get more roided without worry of like drug testing. Can you find a recent picture of the ring? <laughs> I, I think he might be hiding how Jack D is in preparation. But we'll know soon enough. Yeah, okay. Well that that's something to watch out for. If he's like actually huge again, then I'll pick him unironically. I mean, it does seem ridiculous to pick uh, Alistair Overeem in a fight in 2022, uh, but the alternative is picking Badahari, and I'm not going to do that. This is ridiculous. Like, Overeem has still won fights in the last five years that were actually fights, rather than losing fights that he was winning. Yeah, that's all there is to it. So yeah, Um, everyone loves Alistair Overeem. Fuck yeah. 
So yeah, if you enjoyed this podcast and all the other great content that the Fight Site puts out, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where a pledge of $5 gains access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical fight content. Um, and also to a Discord, where we have a great community of interesting fight fans from a ton of different backgrounds. We're always having great discussions and getting, getting together in the VCs to watch fights you know you can come talk to staff ask us questions give us shit about our stupid picks it's always a good time also please uh consider supporting uh Tuman, a fight site manager and content creator who uh, who is trying to fund his emigration to get out of russia which is obviously uh hideously war-torn right now so if you like Tuman, go help him out uh this has been the Forbidden Technique Podcast. You can catch us next week where uh, I guess we'll recap Alistair Overeem versus Badder Harry and uh, preview next week's UFC Fight Night card headlined, I guess, a top contenders bout uh, women's flyweight between Alexa Grasso and Viviane Ararujo. We'll see you guys then. Peace. Later. Later.